Gal Flakes, time to have sex. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your weekly return to the assault of the new cycle of people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster from Delighted to be here in New York City with Matt Welch yeah. and Michael Moynihan. Look at that. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? It's great. Excellent. To be in the same room. Right. I always yes. enjoy this. And yes. I tell listeners, if this is a bad podcast, this is not a good episode, then it's all done for us because we're together. <laughs> the magic yeah. happens. It really, it really is like um, seeing the Beatles. Mm. Right. This is like the rooftop concert because I think we're going to break up after this. I'm <laughs> today. <laughs> to remember like the Beatles footage that included like two absolute nerd bots putting on space goggles 30 minutes before we went to air. <laughs> you, don't th- you don't think John would have done that if he had nerd space goggles? I think, I think John and bring George. Bring me the Apple Vision Pro. <laughs> That's what he says, That's right? The That's the accent. That, Which one of the Beatles is that? You sound like someone's sleeping. To Ringo. Like, I just knew there's one named Ringo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Hey, Paul, yeah. let's get rid of Clarence and steal all these good ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that was an that accent. Is, that that is what you guys would do, actually. Yeah, totally. You would totally do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unacceptable. If we could. You shouldn't yeah. even joke about that. It's terrible. It's hurtful. You know, this pop, this pop, 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 Sorry, I've been. Podcast. I've been. Podcast. One. This podcast. I've been doing poppers all night. Now, this podcast is so popular that we have reached the point, Matt, where we can get rid of Camille, who. You know, what do they call it on, on the internet? Blackfishing? <laughs> do you know about really? this? Yeah, I'm, I'm this? not joking. What is blackfishing? How does one blackfish? Dude, look it up. You have your computer there. Okay. Look up blackfishing and tell me the first thing wait. that comes up. Oh, There's no. a documentary. There's about a movie. blackfishing? Well, blackfish is about a um, yeah, yeah, um, orca. Yeah. yeah, it's about an orca. Uh, that's, yeah. that's different. This but is blackfishing. Okay. Blackfishing. This is not a porn thing. I won't have to. No, there is a, there is a whole suffix industry with fishing. Okay, um, right. Where monkey fishing? It's where people <laughs> pretend. Not monkey black. No, no, that was a that was a slate.com story. Yeah, right. yeah. Google's AI just gave me a definition of, of what, blackfishing. What did actually. it say? Blackfishing is definitely okay and couldn't possibly be wrong and white people are evil and should be destroyed. <laughs> no, that's that's not it. it. That's, that's not it. Did it give you a, did it give Yeah, you black one? fishing is when someone who is not black, I suppose yes. I qualify, pretends to be black. I sometimes do that, actually. Mm-hmm. It's a form of blackface. Okay. No, which not. is the practice of dressing up as black person. Black fishing can involve bronzer or tanning, cosmetic surgery, Photoshop, and or other photo editing software, wearing traditionally known black hairstyles like box braids <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what google this is basically an attack AI on white co- uh, college students who go to the caribbean yeah <laughs> come back with corners you don't even have to you but just don't you know who's been blackfishing this week i don't know if you saw these photos of no. a-rod no a-rod photos blackfishing he's been blackfishing i didn't mean to he just fell asleep in the sun it's what he said he literally said that there are these pictures of him that just came out, and he looks hilarious. It is he looks like he might be blackfishing us and trying to convince. <laughs> did, you, did you bring up the photos? I'm looking at uh, an article in Vibe 
Vibe magazine. Oh, is Vibe mad about yeah. it? Getting well, it just the headline is just Alex Rodriguez wants people to calm down about his noticeably darker skin. The part owner of Minnesota Timberwolves sat courtside as they took on the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's from February. This was what this is. I've talked I mean, about yeah, this. Yeah, he's giving Stephen A. Smith a run for his he's money. He's definitely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. But this is a great example of why the news cycle should stop at that's five o'clock. Okay. Yeah. I would say it's wrong gonna, with it. Man's going to tan. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. I don't know. But that's the thing. Is, it's like when you keep going and you have to produce news all day and people just don't hang up, you know, put, push their typewriter to the side and go to the bar and drink until like eight, nine, 10 PM and then go home and, you know, get divorced or something because you <laughs> come home drunk every night. Like you're a journalist. That's what old journalists do. But now it's this constant production of copy. And then that I saw everywhere. It's not a story. The, literally the story is Alex Rodriguez has a tan. He's a sunburn. He's a sunburn. And it's like, I saw it in multiple publications and I didn't know if it was black fishing. I just want to know, does Moynihan's uh, Jack scent and or Red Fox scent qualify under the definition of uh, Google AI as blackfish? Did I send you the picture of the guy at Disney World who looked just like Red Fox? No. I just took a picture of a guy who was sitting exhausted <laughs> at, at uh, the Disney Springs, like the mall kind of place at Disney World. When my uh-huh. daughter was down there uh, at a... Um, Gymnastics tournament and a uh, guy looked like Red Fox and I just went up and took a picture of him. <laughs> like, did, yeah. you, did you do yes. it in a way that'd be noticeable? Well, he he would attack me like Red Fox, which would just be a hobble. What are you me. doing, you, yeah. you big dummy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put yeah. down that cell phone. Yeah, I looked at him. I said, "Hey, Lamont's over there." He's like, what, well, Lamont? He, he down in the springs. I'm going. Oh, yeah. You, your face so ugly. I stab your face in dough and make gorilla cookies. That's literally a Red Fox joke from yes. from um, yes. Uh, and I think I've recommended this before. The great courtroom scene where. Um, he is, I believe, <laughs> appealing a ticket, and uh, he cross-examines a comp, and I won't say any more than that. It's very, very funny. And it's always important to remember that that show was mostly written by Jews. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Do you know who, and I haven't really reflected on this until this very moment, drinking Love Garden uh, Rosé from Brian Babcock's winery, which is fantastic. Very good, yeah. To go to uh, in... Um, in, in near the Santa Inez Valley, um, big rock and roll like uh, 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 area with lots of incredible rare posters and stuff. Anyways, um, my grandfather, uh, Walter Welch, Pappy, we used to call him. Um, he was a short man with a little bit of balding, but like a little beard here. He wore suspenders that came down. Yeah, it sounds like white, Fox. white yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, he worked uh, doing drywall, mm-hmm. um, and he had a, this horrible kind of limp and this gait. And he was mm-hmm. like, you know, five, three, five, four. And he was grumpy. And all oh, hell. Yeah. And, and his favorite uh, comment was, oh, hell. Uh, yeah, whenever yeah. like he would lose an so old maid. That's like a white version of a, Red Fox. It was a white Red Fox. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. grandfather was white Red Fox. Old maid is not something that's being played by Red Fox. Um, you know. Yeah. Anyway. But it's good to see you, Camille. It's that's good right. to be yeah. in person. Good to see you guys as well. And, um, um, I'm glad that you left the mask in the other room. <laughs> no, no, it's in this room. I'm just God not wearing it. it now, and it's not a mask. It is a. We all wear. We all wear a mask. Apple Camille. Vision Pro. Yeah, 
Yeah, and which I, I, I went and tried on. Tonight. I did, yeah. and I was very impressed by it. Yeah, give give the people your review, Moynihan. Well, you put it on me, and then I had to do all sorts of like tests to make it work. I'm like pinching yeah. things, and yeah. I, I was like, it was it was like I was at Hooters or something, and my arms are out <laughs> pinching things, and I, you know, you have to set <laughs> it up. You do. Yeah. As you do, and you have to set it set it the whole thing up, and then he played this immersive video, and the first thing. That comes up is fucking Alicia Keys is yeah. like on my lap, very close. Really? So I was like, "What's up, girl?" Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, we were we were getting into it. Yeah, it yeah. Fantastic. I, I think she was. I don't think it was meant to be used the way that I was using it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was great. It's very impressive, though. Very impressive. Will you now That's dispute cool. a thing that Camille said on this podcast recently? What's that? That Alicia Keys has no talent. Would you dispute I, that? I don't remember him saying that. Is that yeah. what I said? You kind of did. I mean, I mostly believe that. I, I, I don't. Wrong. I wouldn't say I, she has I, no dead, talent. Dead wrong. I would say that I don't like the sound of her singing voice. Okay, that's and true. I generally don't like the songs that she's on. Yeah. It just it's it's annoying. It's like nails on a chalkboard. Right now in my head, I'm hearing her belt out in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. A, yeah. I just hate it. Yeah, it's I terrible. wish somebody else was singing that. Yeah, okay, like Elton John. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that, if you're wearing if you're wearing headphones and they're singing it on your lap, how do you feel? well, I was more oh. distracted by other aspects of her personality. But yeah, I was, <laughs> her personality. Yeah. yeah, my daughter, by the way, who her I'm build. I'm, Weird, um, weird transition. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> well this is we're talking about. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, this is how polite my daughter is. It's yeah, a very, very sweet, very polite thing. I was driving her back from gym last night, nine p.m. She's been up since seven. School, gym, nine p.m. She goes home. It's a very intense schedule, so she's exhausted. And she gets in the car. She said, like, "Can I play music?" I said, "Sure." And she said, "Well, I need you know. You got to tell me if you like this stuff. It's always like challenging me." And there was one. She, she put, says that to you. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And she, she knows you're a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. And so she puts on, but she, she was impressed that I like Lana Del Rey. Like that couple songs. I like this pretty good. And, uh, she put on this Nicki Minaj song Oh no! and she stops and she said, I can actually like rap this whole thing. And I was like, okay. And she looked at me and she's like, do you mind if I swear once? She goes, just once. And I was like, yeah, okay. And she, then she looked at me and she's like, it's just bitch. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then she That's did, fine. That's not even a She did word. the whole song. She's yeah. 13. Mm -hmm. She can do it. 13-year-old girls can say bitch. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, should, anyway. we talk, should we talk about some of the goings on we should. in the world? Because there are a couple of things going on that we could probably weigh in on. Um, Trump's various legal dramas uh, just before we got into the room, actually. Um, it looks like the Supreme Court is definitely going to take up Trump's um, immunity claim. Uh, an assertion that comes into play in one of his many uh, criminal prosecutions, maybe, specifically this maybe the, two the yeah. DC the DC situation. It may come into play in a couple of them, but at least we know that the case that was being prosecuted in DC, um, which I believe that's like a six count indictment, all of which pertain to uh, Trump's attempt to, uh, according to the indictment, Trump's attempt to to overturn the election. Um, <clears throat> that case is on hold while the Supreme Court takes up this other question. And it is not clear how quickly they'll be able to do it. Start but it, does seem, it does seem like this will probably delay the case until maybe after November, which would obviously be after the election, in which case if he wins, he would have the opportunity to pardon himself or some other kind of machinations that would make this case go away. But as, as long as he's wearing those goggles, <laughs> just like pardoning himself on live television. Yeah, but there, but there are plenty of other cases that are still playing out while we wait on that one to, <coughs> to come to the Supreme Court. And many people are bemoaning that development. I saw um, the subhead on a, in a story at Vox was something like, um, 
uh, apparently justice doesn't uh, justice isn't blind or something like that. It, it's not clear. I mean, the, court, the case hasn't even been decided. It doesn't, make it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, aside from that court, it, Trump is also facing still there's the Florida federal case related to the boxes, the my documents case. Mm-hmm. Then there are his many criminal case, not criminal, but his civil cases in New York um, where he is looking at a grand total of 400 and well, no, it's $540 million at Jesus. the moment that he is supposed to pay. Mm-hmm. There's the $5 million sexual assault um, case from Eugene. late last year, from Eugene May. Carol, yeah. yeah. And then there's the second, there's Carol 2, and there's an $83.3 million judgment against him there, yeah. which he has yet to pay. He's just like um, Alexi Nafal. And then there's the 400, <laughs> the rest of that 540, there's a 450 million odd dollar judgment against him in the fraud case um here in new york the one with no victims that one well yeah well the banks could have potentially charged him more interest is the allegation they got their money Um, back and well and they didn't make a complaint they didn't didn't make it they didn't make a complaint it is a very unusual case to say the least um but again that puts trump in a situation where there is an expectation that he will pay out 540 million dollars in new york $450 $450 million of that would be paid to the city of New York, the state of New York, I guess. Um, and look, look, <laughs> really trying the, to fill those budget gaps. The now, AG, the dude, AG, I just my taxes, so like, <laughs> I understand. The AG of New York, Miss um, James, is Petition. actively trolling the president of the United States, yeah, tweeting Twitter. updates every single day with respect to how much more he owes because there's like another hundred and. Five thousand dollars in interest that accrues aren't there for other, every day. This aren't there paid. other cases that she has to deal with as the like district attorney? None are more Criminal, fun. You mean you none know. are more fun? Uh, <laughs> it, it seems like rather targeted against yeah. one person if she's going at. Yeah. I'm not saying that Trump isn't guilty of everything. Some, some or even yeah. all of this stuff. Probably all of this stuff in some way or another. Who knows? But uh, it seems a little excessive, and, and nobody seems to care about keeping just a kind of sense of propriety about this right and just tweeting i mean look the, I, I read a piece in the wall street journal it might have been one of their unsigned editorials and again it's not a organization or a page that is pro-trump and it hasn't been um since it's modified it's mo- years, yeah. well it's done the thing that everyone's done in a way and this podcast is done i think in some way Ooh. is that not to defend donald trump but just to get so irritated about the people who obsessively try to destroy donald trump and don't try to, you know, play him on the field and try to beat him on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather, you know, this is what I think a lot of this stuff is. But as, you know, they were pointing out a long time ago that Tish James's thing, like, she was running on it. I mean, she was basically saying, Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, this yeah. is what I'm going to do. You're targeting somebody in that way, and you're saying that it's not political. It's just not believable. It's not just it's her. I political. mean, that's, you know, you're running for DA, and this is what you're doing, or attorney general. This is what you, all of your ads are about Donald Trump. But it's not just that. And that's bad, right? This Mm -hmm. is someone running in a prosecutorial job. Um, This is also true of basically everybody running for governor. Um, When, God rest his soul, uh, Andrew Cuomo um, (laughs) ran for governor last time. All of his uh, commercials were about Donald Trump, every single one. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can't run for a statewide office in the state of New York without, as a Democrat, which is everybody, without making it all about Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, there's something pretty fundamentally unhealthy about that. Yes. Because the job that you hold, he's around, he's part of the state, he's not the whole story of the state at all. 
And if you're going to prosecute him for something that doesn't really have a complaining victim and then throw $450 million on it, what do you think the world is going to respond to this? But what you see, this is the thing that when people um, complain about the excesses of the United States justice system, they are not um, complaining when it comes to things they don't like. I mean, if, if Harvey Weinstein gets 850 years with no chance for parole, great. If, um, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse was to have gotten 30 years, it would have been great. Um, you know, but when we look at the justice system saying, you know, it's overly punitive in certain ways, it's like, well, you don't always think that. Yeah. And you, that's the thing about the Trump judgment is that even if this is true, it seems like an insane verdict. Now, there's going to be people who will write in, and I encourage it, who say, well, it's not an insane verdict for, for X, Y, and Z reasons. To the layman, to somebody who's not a lawyer, who's not, you know, really un- doesn't really understand the ins and outs of kind of corporate tax law in New York State, maybe this is a normal thing. If it is a normal thing, it still strikes me as excessive. But the thing that's interesting about it to me is that the way everyone talks particularly on the very activist, and I mean this very activist, uh, progressive side of the ledger. And we've seen a lot of this recently. It didn't happen for about 20 years, but since Ro- the Roe v. Wade decision we was overturned, we have this focus, this excessive focus on Clarence Thomas, right? Any, he takes an RV trip and we're going to, you know, see, is that, now granted, there is a different level of magnitude with the Supreme Court and the DA in the Southern District of New York, but still, this is a big deal, right? It's a big former president. For John Oliver to offer a bribe for him to retire. Exactly, exactly. This is, I mean, when you, like they've been trying to get uh, Clarence Thomas on Ginny Thomas, on Ginny Thomas's associations. If you see the stuff that some of these people that have done that are aggressively pursuing Donald Trump, and again, with the caveat that it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be doing so. It means that their public behavior in doing so, the way they're comporting themselves, if Justice Thomas rules the same way he rules because this is the things that he believes, no one would care. They're trying to say, okay, we can get him because he's ruling the same way that we know he would rule anyway, but he has associations with people who have money and the same beliefs. So therefore, we're going to put two and two together. Like, that is a leap um, it's basically saying that the, the Supreme Court justice cannot have associations or have a wife who's a rock-ribbed kind of Trumpian conservative. Um, that they, Bit of a loony bird, that one. Oh, she's an absolute lunatic. She's <laughs> yeah. a complete fucking nutbag. But really nice. She, she, she's a really she? nice person. Is she, she nice? Did she clasp your hand? And yeah. I, I don't remember. Yeah. She was nice to me. She's got jungle mm. fever. <laughs> 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 this is that's a regular a episode. Wa- that's a Stevie Wonder song. I just said yeah. it's a Stevie Wonder song. He that's wrote it, not me. It's, it's a big Stevie Wonder song. It's a big Stevie Wonder song. It's, it's a whole movie. It's his and best everything. song yeah. since Don't Drive Drunk. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, that is a real song. That's, it's a real the song. The great video, too. It's a yeah. drunk driving video. The Jungle Fever is definitely a better song. Is Stevie like driving in the... In the, in the- yeah, this song is originally called Don't Drive Blind, but he said, yeah, it's a bit on the nose. We know that. I hear that the driving is uh, challenging, so but, you probably shouldn't drive drunk. Look, Steve I Lennon. know that they're not exact consp- comparisons, but the, the amount of scrutiny that, that Justice uh, Thomas has been under since decisions that have really upset an activist part of America 
have happened. They've gone really deep, and particularly ProPublica, oh, no, it seems yeah. to have an entire division of 700 people devoted to following every move of Clarence Thomas. But, um, but yeah, they really loathe him. But I just wonder why there's no similar um, microscope in these people that are behaving in uh, untoward ways in some in some respects. And the, the Funny Willis stuff, too. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen, like, a, a scoreboard. Um, I'm sensitive to numbers. I appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Of uh, size of civil judgments in similar cases over the years. I haven't seen that either. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm going to assume that this dwarfs most everything outside of old uh, what's-his-face who swindled all the Jews out of the money. What was his name? Hitler? Yeah. <laughs> he stole that. It wasn't a swindle. Oh, um, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Hitler of the Jews. <laughs> uh, but like... <laughs> It's a, you should probably cut that. <laughs> no, it's good. It's all good. Um, oh, it's live. Uh, no, I, it's, what is one of the things that you feel like when you're consuming what used to be elite media, which has just been deracinated, self-deracinated and externally deracinated over the years? I always feel like it's context of anything. Just, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Camille uses the word context usually when he's doing a contextual semi-filibuster, but also like getting into context at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I love all your hand gestures, by the way. Yeah. Right. That's hand my own yeah. contextual filibusters. You see what he's doing. Yeah. He's flailing. <laughs> madly. Flailing so yeah. badly. Uh, but like, <laughs> yeah. I want that. Like, oh, we're reading this story about this judgment. Yeah. What's the list of the 10 biggest judgments? There are Where does so it fit? many examples. How of many of them are yeah. people inflating their real worth in a New York real estate case, yeah. which is, have you met New York real estate? And <laughs> also, there's, if, there's, if, no, yeah. there's no analog for this case. No, there isn't. There, there really I don't is. That's a problem. Is. That's yeah. an issue. But e- even if there are judgments that are commensurate with it, are they also political? Is it Chevron? You know, which has right. been a pretty political prosecution. And, you know, there's that, uh, what's his name? Don Zinger or whatever people that have gone after company. That's Don probably, Zimmer, just go Don, after him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Enough Don Zimmer. The tank has gone after him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Tony Canigliero Fund for, <laughs> for oil spills. Yeah, no, it has been like, there. you know, whatever. You can say uh, Chevron, you can say a million other things. There are prosecutions that definitely have a political patina or an activist patina. If it's something, an environmental disaster, it's going to be handled a lot differently if if it was, you know, I mean, look, I mean, look what happens with, with, uh, and I don't, again, I don't know the ins and outs of this. And I know that a former guest on this show, Patrick Radden Keefe has written a book about this, but the Sackler stuff, I could never get a good read on that. And I want to read Patrick's book because I know it's very, very negative about the Sacklers, but Patrick is an incredibly straight journalist. I mean, I'm sure he has his views. It doesn't matter. He's a totally straight shooter in that way. But I only got a sense of those trials because it was like you caused, you're the corporation that has a lot of money and gives it away to all the wrong people and you're living high in the hog and middle America is dying and this is kind of a political issue now. And it wasn't a political issue for many, many years, by the way. And you could find old HBO documentaries about, you know, places. There's one that's incredible uh, from the 90s in Massachusetts, in like Gloucester, Massachusetts, and like Lawrence, Massachusetts, of like, you know, sort of look like middle class people just strung out on like meth and it's been eating up these, but it only recently became a major political issue because it became a bigger issue. It became a bigger issue in America, but I never trusted any of the reporting on that because even the judgments, I thought all that is through this political funnel Mm. and I don't know what's true and what isn't true. Is it the people who 
are getting kickbacks because they're prescribing too much. There's a million things that it could be. But no one's going to go out there and defend that person. Like, you know, it's the hard... Look, it's the fucking Donald Trump thing, too. You don't want to defend a guy because he's such a shitbag in so many ways. He's one of the most dishonest, horrifying people in the world. His enemies are also dishonest in different ways. But if there is a wrinkle in the Harvey Weinstein story... Don't say it in public, but say it amongst your friends. And that has happened to me. People I've said, like, you know this weird thing with the Harvey Weinstein is actually kind of not true? Like, literally journalists that I know, not joking, have said, well, I looked into it. That's actually not, actually not true at all. And it's like, because there was such a feeding, feeding frenzy and he is such a, you know, horrible villain. And he is a horrible villain. That's absolutely true. But there was no desire to correct it. Because you don't want to seem like in any way that you're coming out on his side. And mm-hmm. the thing is true with Donald Trump, too. I wonder, I've been thinking recently, and I've seen other people commenting recently, including our, our, our uh, semi-favorite guest, Ben Dreyfus. He's certainly top five. He has yeah. the bathrobe. Um, <laughs> Love Ben. <laughs> uh, him mentioning in the context of whatever the hell, probably Adam Rubenstein's op-ed in the Atlantic or piece in the Atlantic about editing op-eds for the New York Times and getting bounced out because he was... Uh, said Chick-fil-A at the wrong moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. Which he <laughs> Which, definitely didn't do, yeah. uh, according to people who who just decided that that was the one anecdote that couldn't be true. But there's this thing where the year 2020, which is a weird year for us personally, this podcast, and certainly for the fucking world, yeah. um, there's such a like before and after vibe. There's such a derangement that comes from the year 2020 mm. that I've always felt like is, is bigger than our ability to completely comprehend. And I wonder uh, about that in terms of Trump and in terms of some of these gigantor judgments that are happening, the uses of the legal process. Like it is is so deranged and it hasn't really settled and we haven't really like figured it out. Um, Harvey Weinstein is part of this, right? Me Too happens a little bit before 2020. What does 2020 do to Me Too? It just like... Yeah. Like I don't know what what instrument that was, but it was, was that an instrument? <laughs> I don't know what was. I thought that, that was like <laughs> a car lift, <laughs> like it was coming up. Well, so what are you trying to say? <laughs> what I'm trying to say is yeah. that that's where I think the shitty media men list came in 2020, or if not, just a little bit before. But like this whole I think it was like, before the 2020. Pandemic. It was before, before the pandemic. pandemic. Yeah. But like, but all of the sense of. We can go after everybody and we no longer need due process yeah. was really enshrined in 2020. And we're only beginning to see the unwinding, I think, uh, a little bit where people who make accusations or whatever aren't getting the same kind of play. We mentioned this on the podcast um, on a kind of double episode where Camille yeah, uh, talked to Coleman mm-hmm. and we talked about, you know, a guest on the show. He's been on twice. And we'll never speak of him again. He's he's dead now. Well, I think that somebody wrote in and said, like, don't stress and affect it. Like, don't. And I was like, well, it's already out there. Mm -hmm. And the Atlantic released a statement and everything. But in a sense, it was really interesting. It really did go away fast. It did. It did. And And she didn't get a lot of. No, it wasn't like booked on all the shows or maybe she said refused and didn't want to do that. That's fine. But who knows? But it just kind of went away. And one of the incredible artifacts of this time. I sent to both of you today two artifacts of this time that I sent both to both of you today. And I'm not going to go into any detail on it because I'm like writing about this, something about this now. Um, and it's, and I'll be posting it soon. Um, a video that I produced <laughs> 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 that I, I, did I, I didn't send it to you today, but I, this is also 
in the same time period. But uh, it reminded me, reading this document, which from 2020, it reminded me of like watching a movie from 1939 and knowing that it wasn't from 1942. Mm -hmm. Because the movie from 1942 is like, buy war bonds, like in the background yeah. of everything. It's, you can tell that the war has happened. It has started. There is a kind of Yankee doodle dandy men in uniform, at, like everywhere in films. It's just part of the the kind of scenery of every film which is quite different different for example from the 1940 presidential election when they were competing against each other to be more like we're not going to join the war kind of 100 percent. that's yeah. absolutely absolutely true um yeah more on that later but but that's what it felt like it's like oh i can tell you exactly when this document is from mm -hmm. i can carbon date it and it was an internal document from my own employer old employer and it was so deranged and i sent it to camille i sent it to both of you and it was like, oh, wow, like, would a company send this now? Yeah. This is maybe nope. three and a half years hence? Yeah. No. It was like the derangement of COVID, lockdowns, et cetera, mixed with the der derangement of the George Floyd stuff, of the Me Too movement, of everything that happened from sort of 2017 on. And it was all distilled in a corporate document that sounded that it was written by, you know, like some commissar from, you know, the Cuban Revolutionary Council or something. <laughs> Although, just two pages. It's two pages. Yeah, uh -huh. a, yeah you, can get, you can get it all in two pages. Use, use the word folks like a dozen times. Yeah, folks is a big one. That <laughs> document. What's, yeah. your, what's your obsession with the word folks in, in that, in that I, otherwise I memo context? Well, I mean... Folks and y'all. Yeah, just it's, it's weird how folks became this became a regular piece of furniture rhetorically for mm -hmm. people who were talking about the importance of prioritizing per members of a particular racial group, which necessarily suggests that we are de-emphasizing the <laughs> members of other racial groups. That mm -hmm. there, there are too many of those people here. It's your and once you, <laughs> once you use, once you use the word folks, it's almost like, oh, this is friendly. This is a cuddly <laughs> word. Mm -hmm. what, what do you have against black folks? Mm -hmm. don't, you, don't you know that trans folks need support too? It, it, it sort of like takes the edge off of what are genuinely dangerous sentiments, which if you run afoul of these precepts related to diversity, equity, and inclusion, you will pay for it severely. But folks, sounds cuddly. It it's funny. seems more approachable. I remember having an, uh, a reaction to the word folks in contexts like that. Uh, probably, I would say, without being overly specific, about 15, 16, 17 years ago. And when I would see white people using folks, I would be on alert um, hmm. because it was a way of talking about the blacks and the Mexicans <laughs> and, but they were like doing it in an overly touchy feely kind of, huh. kind of way. Um, and, you know, folks are, 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 you know, are, are really concerned about, you know, policing or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there was a way of it that was really like nails on chalkboard, cringe inducing back then. Mm -hmm. So it might have traveled in its own way to it certainly seems to have yeah. traveled. Yeah. There's one thing that I, in this, which is hilarious, uh, read, in which read, um, read that shit out. And uh, well, I can read one in this. I won't reference what it is referencing, but there was a, what, what organization is this coming from, Michael? 
Um, BuzzFeed, it's called, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure. <laughs> Not sure. Um, but it, it was uh, apparently a complaint or an article that somebody wrote saying, you know, I felt uncomfortable in this organization, et cetera. And this is the first bullet point in this incredible first bullet point is uh, here are immediate next steps. This is the oh. first bullet point. All complaints will be investigated and the individuals making the complaints will be appraised as to the results. We have retained diverse black women of color independent investigators to review all the complaints. So wait a minute. Diverse black yes. women yeah. of color. Yeah, it's really narrow, actually. <laughs> what, is, what, is that even, what does that even mean? Yeah, well, it means that um, white people want me to be investigating this stuff. Thank God, because you know what happens when they do. It's the fucking, it's the South all over again. Hmm. Um, where is the, um, there's another, this is a different document. God, there's so right. many of them. They're so funny. Uh, like those those kinds of statements, like written by committee in response yes. to some drama in the office. The committee is called the Politburo. Nearly always incoherent. Like just making the bizarre claims, the un, un, unusual constructions in the sentences that just make absolutely no sense in any other context. This is a um, company wide um, uh, email that went out. Where after what, after George Floyd? What company? Uh, NBC Universal. <laughs> um, I can't say because maybe I'll be sued yeah. by this husk of a company. Uh, what are they going to do to mobilize for a movement? One of the um, heads is uh, economic empowerment. This is a media organization. This is a journalism organization. Hmm. They uh, will do, um, and I'm going to edit some of this so don't know exactly what they're, writing stories in support of black-owned businesses like this one from, and names the story, uh, looking at how to use our media inventory to support in support of black-owned businesses. Uh, this is about, um, this is amazing, hmm. Juneteenth content and educational in initiatives, voting initiative in partnership with Rock the Vote. It's like fucking oh, 1992. God. <laughs> it's like amazing. <laughs> Millie Vanilli is going to come. Jesus and Rock Christ. the Vote. The one, the one that didn't fucking kill himself is going to come. Um, <laughs> oh, there's, I can't even, this is only some, but I can, some of it's just too crazy to actually read. But this is the kind of stuff that you would get normally. And so the Adam Rubenstein thing um, was interesting because what it is, oh God, this, wait, one more thing. This is one yeah, more thing. Yeah. This is from um, a three things to know about DEI um, at this company. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is amazing. This is the point. Um, expand beyond DEI workshops. Guess who's probably been to, to implicit bias training? Amy Cooper. <laughs> what? Derek Chauvin. Tu Tao, who was apparently the Vietnamese or Hmong cop that was involved in the show and stuff. We know that diversity training alone doesn't usually work to change behavior. Racism in America is older than, quote, um, quote, America itself. And a day-long seminar won't stop the weaponization of white womanhood, the complicity of Asian Americans in anti-blackness, or the disregard of black humanity. This is an internal company document from a media organization. That is so much more racist than whatever Shaquille O'Neal did with Yao Ming. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. It's not even close. Yes. It's not even close. Yes. That you is, just said you people. You mm -hmm. just said that you people were complicit yes. with the whitey birds yeah. on doing the bad stuff. Don't, particularly the, the white women. 
Well, the white, white women, women are the worst. By the way, I think that whole <laughs> they're sen- dangerous. I think that whole <laughs> sentence is an attack on Asians because it doesn't mention Derek Chauvin. It mentions the Asian cop too. That's true. Because there was like a black cop too, and there yeah. was another like there's a, a pretty diverse bunch of people there. And then right after that, it says, "Don't you know Asian Americans are complicit in anti-blackness." That is an email that went out to the entire company of from what company? Um, I don't actually remember the name because it's gone. <laughs> it's like the Third Reich. It ended in 1945, and we don't talk about it anymore. So there you go. Oh my that's gosh. that's a bit of uh, that madness. Uh, again, that madness will seem so crazy really soon. It seems I, crazy I pray, to us. Now. I pray that's the case. It seems crazy at the time. It's crazy at the time. We talked about it a lot at the time. We talked there's about one it thing before that, a lot of other people were talking about it. Yes, it's true. Yeah. yes. And our there's one. Were as well. There's one thing in there that I didn't send to you that I will not reveal right now. That is <laughs> that is crazier than all of that stuff combined. And it's from a I think maybe the CEO that was so deranged that you know it's one of these things like isn't that against the law to talk like that? To it all like it that? all seems that way. It all seems that way. It all seems to run afoul of the law. I mean to to send wow, out appeal a, to authority here. Yeah, I'm just exactly. saying that it, it all seems to yeah. run afoul yeah. of the law. Yeah, anarcho fascist. <laughs> um, but that is the the crazy thing about it is that you literally have what I just read is an internal document yeah. from a company which is literally uh, singling out entire races mm-hmm. and attributing to them behaviors. Mm-hmm. You are complicit in this anti like black, like what? Yeah. Who are you talking about? That is deranged. But the thing is, is that no one leaked this stuff. No one complained about this stuff. I, no one said anything to me about it. There wasn't like on Slack. It was just totally normal. Nobody blinked at it because the average, I mean, I was considerably older than most of the people there, but it was. Still are. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, I think the only people left are a bunch of 70 year old fucking accountants trying to figure out like, who not to pay next. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's fucking wild. I think about this Man. when, uh, like, the Free Press, uh, published by our friend Barry Weiss, and both of you guys have done things for the Free Press in the past. Um, they had a thing uh, recently of, uh, you know, some Brooklyn. Um, uh, public school material um, said these things that are outrageous. Mm-hmm. And how long have I been emailing you the stuff from the Brooklyn public oh, yeah, schools? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like yeah. the entire time. Yeah. Um, there comes a point where there's an audience for people who realize that that is normal every single day. Yeah. And we're kind of at that point a little bit. And you see, even this has uh, happened um, a different one. Um, happened a couple of weeks back with the elementary school that had the map on the wall of all the Arab countries and like Israel, uh, the territory of Israel was on it's the gone, map, it's gone, but no. the, the yeah. political content of Israel wasn't there anymore. And it was uh, paid for by a, a Qatar, Qatar, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became a problem. Um, uh, you know, some people were like, oh, this is a problem that the free press created uh, in the New York Post and whatnot. But part of it is just like, this stuff was there forever, um, mm-hmm. and I certainly wrote about it, and we talked about it uh, on occasion here, and it wasn't the kind of thing that would attract or excite attention three, four years ago. No. it Now, somehow, it seems like, what are you doing? Yeah. What, what did we all start doing? And I think Ben Dreyfus, he's written about this a couple of different times, um, different ways, and, and in his Ben Dreyfusian way, has been great, which is basically Trump deranged so many people 
uh, on the left or even on the center left that when they started doing all this crazy anti-due process stuff in Me Too, George Floyd and et cetera, people kind of went along with it, uh, COVID reasons too, um, for a while. Yes. Until Joe Biden was really safely president and like there was no Trump coming back. And then people like, oh yeah, we don't, that's, that's not normal. The thing that, that Ben Dreyfus is a great avatar of is that Ben Dreyfus is not somebody who can in any way be classified as a person, quote, of the right or a conservative or anything like that. I mean, he did work at Mother Jones. He did grow up in Hollywood, right? <laughs> you know, I think he went to Harvard Westlake and places like that. But probably he, kicked out, he's probably kicked out for yeah. just being a general scumbag. But he's not that person. And he is in just the sort of indicative of many of the people that I've met who are people that are normal. They're not political, but I imagine they'd vote for Joe Biden. They'd probably vote for Democrats, you know, mm-hmm. straight ticket. Ben was a huge uh, backer of Joe Biden in the primaries yeah. in 2020, let's recall. Yes. And that's just a normal thing because the squad ideas about the world are held by a vanishingly small number of people. Yeah. And that's proven by every... Uh, that that um, Hidden Tribes survey that was done by the University of Pennsylvania, I think, a think tank within the University of Pennsylvania. But it's an interesting thing that nobody really believes this stuff. When polled about it, that is a very small segment of the population. The kind of AOC, Rashida Tlaib kind of stuff, which is marginal in politics. The squad is what, like six people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, And they all went to Cuba last week, by the way. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was off the radar. There's a wow. good piece in the Miami Herald about it. Hmm. Is that is that, that is totally true? I didn't. I had Go no check idea. It out. That. You know, it wasn't usually the Cuban media is like, oh, we got we got ones. Um, so who knows what they're doing there? I mean, I presume actually they were trying to do some things that I would agree with, which uh, is uh, embargo stuff, but. embargo stuff, but also lobbying for whatever like political prisoners are are there. I would doubt that, but uh, <laughs> but like if they're Americans and they're leftists or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not trying to get Joanne Chesimard. Asana yeah. Shakur in uh, handcuffs on a plane, which is what I would want them to do. Hmm. But um, that's amazing. I didn't know that. But it is a very small um, number of people who agree with that sort of stuff and think that way. But it's really, really overrepresented in our institutions. I think, interestingly, that there is a semi-mirror image to that effect. It's larger, but with the MAGA right. Um, which is Yeah, the, I think that's probably true too. Yeah. Which is to say, if you... So, like, we know that where MAGA stands, which is, of course, a completely ephemeral thing, this basically what Trump says and what the people who are, like, trying to adapt to Trump, whether it's the Heritage Foundation or J.D. Vance or whatever, what what they are saying, or Saurabh Amari, but he's on his own journey, um, like, rehabilitating the New Deal these days, yeah, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting. But um, <laughs> if you ask Americans, which Pew did last week, or at least published the results of it last week, like... Is it fundamentally in the American interest to defend Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan? 75% of Americans it's say yes. It's overwhelming majority. 75. Yeah. It's a big, it's you don't get really a lot of 75. 80 20 is almost like Rand Paul once told me like, if you can get to an 80 20, you just sit on it. You rest on that forever. And he rests on it in terms of 80 20 usually is Americans being opposed to foreign aid. Um, yeah. So he used that to get a more kind of anti-interventionist thing going on. And I appreciate that and respect it. Um, but like it's 75-25. Like, so um, if you do a standalone vote in Congress on aid to Ukraine or aid to Israel, is my belief, um, 
And this became like big public politics, which it really kind of hasn't because they make it all about the border and fentanyl mm-hmm. and whatever. Um, and you make people's political you know, uh, fortunes weigh on this. It's going to tilt in the direction of Israel and Ukraine. Yes, it I, is. Every, MAGA is yes. not. In, in, in all, no, this no, is also no. true of free trade um, to a lesser degree. Um, and, and that depends on a lot of variables and how you ask the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And immigration is a bit different. But even the immigration under Donald Trump, um, during his presidency, American support for immigration uh, increased. I think that that's completely different this particular election uh-huh. season. Yeah, and you know we can yeah. we can transition into Eric Adams and Joe Biden. I, I we're going to see a lot of Democrats being super tough on immigration in the next nine months. Of course, um, but generally speaking, I think MAGA, as translated into a thing, there's this misperception of the JD Vances of the world that being ant- not just like I don't think that we should give money to Ukraine. Um, which is something that maybe one and a half of the three of us agree with. Who knows? Um, uh, might be a topic, but like Americans broadly sympathize with Ukraine. They they understand that in that conflict, they got attacked, and they are better than the people who attacked. The, the, them. the way that the brain <clears throat> processes this in America, and the poll results show this, is when you try to say, "Well, you know, they were we were mean to them after the end of the Cold War," and you know, NATO. They didn't want NATO. The way people press it is like, the, so the res- response is, "You invade them and kill a bunch of people." Yeah. That seems like a bad idea. That's the general idea. Immigration. The general idea is, wait, so you can just walk in and then commit a crime, and you get to stay here? You're like, you don't get on a yeah. plane? That's insane. You, you don't deport people? That's nuts. Every other country does the exact opposite of that. Why are we doing this? Biden That's said a simple today, thing. Yeah. even today, that yeah. the, uh, the sanctuary city regime in states and cities should not apply to a certain type of violent criminal. What do we call those things like sanctuary cities, which, you know, in some sense were, you know, we talked about it a lot, and I know you've pointed this out, Matt, and I think Camille has too, have been broadly misunderstood of what they were in the past. How they were originated. And how they originated. But what do we call, we need a term for this, of kind of utopian politics and policies that sounded good before one had to actually confront them. Mm. If there was a dome around America, you could have sanctuary cities. Mm -hmm. And then you don't have that. And people are just walking across and then you have the sanctuary city regime and you have a problem like New York and everyone's like, what the fuck? And Eric Adams, Democratic mayor is like, what the fuck? And every Democrat outside of the squad leaning ones are like, what the fuck too? There are Republican conservative versions of that kind of pie in the sky stuff. And it could be about guns. It could be about, you know, open carry. There's a million things that that every side and every ideology has that these kind of like you know, I don't know what they are. They're white whales. They're these things that you don't, that you never think you're going to catch and never think it's actually going to be an issue that you'll have to confront, but it makes you sound like the perfect avatar of your ideology. You're a person of the left. You care about immigrants. <coughs> you care about quote unquote people of color. And then you don't ever have to confront it. Right. But then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the sanctuary city thing is like, Oh Fuck now it's happening. We, no, 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 that's not what we meant. No, no, we got to stop this. <laughs> I think there's an analogy here um, quickly um, between the pendulum swing, uh, let's say just in New York City, for example, of the last 10 years of what happens if you are a person who gets caught with marijuana in your hands. Um, maybe 15 years is a better, better example. We had stop and frisk, stop, search and frisk, whatever it was called. Um, 
before. And so people that you know would be like, hey, cops would see them and they would stop them apropos of nothing except they're in a poor neighborhood and say, turn out your pockets. You turn out your pockets and you'd have a like a joint um, and that joint would send you to jail. And if you had immigration status, even though New York had sanctuary cities um, uh, since the 90s, so they didn't do that too, too often, but they would certainly send you to jail or fine you a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gone from that to in 10 years, really, like the change. It's uh, since I've been here to beside every park and school, there are a thousand weed shops where my daughter, who is 15 now, um, can get gummies and vapes that she wants of anything legal. And like people couldn't smoke cigarettes in New York. Um, still can't. It anywhere. still can't. Yeah. But suddenly that like flipped like that. And there's a the version of this with the sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities, the original bit was 80s. It was sanctuary for people from the, civil, the, the Central American Civil Wars um, mm-hmm. that was intended to be kind of an anti-Reagan thumb in the eye in the big cities of saying the people who were thrown back uh, from... Uh, whatever Reagan supports, and they come here. Well, they end wet foot, dry foot policy of the 80s and the Cold War, but not this stuff, right? <laughs> well, wet, wet foot, dry foot, it's pretty recent that that ended, right? Yeah, no, exactly, Obama. but there was, yeah. Um, but then Sanctuary Cities in the 90s version was a, a Republican-led effort as much as anything else. It was something that Giuliani liked, Richard Reardon liked, other people, and it was to say that um, we won't automatically ask you if we talk to you as a cop sure. what your status is. And we won't automatically share that information with ICE because – or the precursor of that, just normal INS. Um, we won't do that because you won't talk to us because of that. We can't continue our like ability to finally start prosecuting crimes in a way that was – that like crime went, went crazy for 30 consecutive mm-hmm. years. We've kind of forgotten about that until recently because it went down beginning around 1990. And so those tough on crime mayors said sanctuary cities were essential because it was a way that a local illegal population could cooperate with the cops, Mm -hmm. right? That didn't, in the same way as the marijuana example, like, okay, you shouldn't be, and and also the marijuana example, there was a ton of cases in the 90s and and the aughts where people would have like a totally misdemeanor marijuana charge who came to this country at age two uh, through no like fault or action mm-hmm. of their own. And they would get a small tiny charge and then be deported to some country that they'd never been to. And in some cases never spoke the language. Mm-hmm. This happened a lot. And we wrote about it a lot of reason at the time. That's so terrible. And so you swing the pendulum over here and now the pendulum is, Oh, you can totally fucking assault a cop as an illegal immigrant uh, in the middle of New York, and we're not going to prosecute you in any way or like like keep and bail on you. No and cash video, bail. Video ever, like, no yes. cash bail, and you can go, kind of go and free. And two of them committed crimes in the following days, too. So so like, libertarians, by the way, talk a lot about incentives. I mean, what are the incentives? Those here? are bad incentives. They're bad incentives. And like, there has to be a, a pretty sensible difference between like, oh, we're going to like, ruin a lot of lives based on misdemeanor drug possession, including like deporting the shit out of people. And like, let's look the other way when someone's beating the shit out of people in organized crime rings that we know a lot about through both policing and journalism. Um, And it's so maddening that it's taken until now. And we're going to see it because it's an election year, because Adams and Biden are probably talking all the time about this. Also because it's necessary. And And there's, there is the, Weed analog is pretty, you know, potent here in the sense that 
what people used to say, and I used to say, and I think all of us agreed with this, was that, you know, the answer to the marijuana, soft drugs, not class A stuff, is to not arrest people all the time, is not to clog up the judicial system with this, but is to legalize it, is to make it, you know, more, and of course, because of the bureaucracy, we didn't, I mean, some of us did anticipate this, that we have illegal weed stores and it's essentially legal in New York because the bureaucracy is so difficult uh, to actually open one. But this is what we're dealing with right now with immigration, is that what shut down all this stuff and make it legal, like, there is not anyone in this room, I know that, that doesn't want a sort of destruction of the current regime of how to get into this country, which is impossible, mm-hmm. yeah. and to create something that incentivizes people with good incentives. But in the time until we do that, this is not the restrictionist idea, which is, nope, we're going to keep this a white Christian country and we're going to keep everybody out. I'm not sure there's a lot of people that believe that. There are certainly some. I think, you know, Tucker Carlson talking to Lex Friedman the other day, and he said, you know, why should I hate Russia? And, I said, and then he said, it's a white Christian country, which is like oh that's an interesting thing to say did, yeah. literally, literally said that um you can go back to the tape he literally said that but there are some people that think like that but i don't think a ton is and his it, wife a white christian yes and if <laughs> and if you cannot convince me i mean i want to tell people that are very soft on this issue who don't live in new york or don't care about it very much or think it's like a republican wedge issue and that's it convince me and i'm willing to be convinced that when you punch a cop, actually, no, 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 that's too obvious. Let me dial that back and be more extreme. I'm going to be more extreme on this. Oh, no. When you run every red light while I'm waiting for the red lights, and then I go through and I stop a little quickly. This happened to me the other day, and I get a red light camera ticket. The people who are the quote unquote migrants who are on those electric things, everyone in New York knows about this, they mm. don't have plates on them. They do not obey any traffic laws. It's insanely dangerous. Including like maybe be on the uh, road instead of the sidewalk. Sidewalks, on the roads, running red lights. I've seen them almost run over people. They have actually hit. It's wild. And they don't, you don't have to register them. There's no license plates. You don't have to have a license or anything like that. If you are running through that, you hit somebody on that bike and the cop sees you and they collar you for that, you're on a plane the next day. You're gone. I don't want you in the fucking system. I don't want you wasting our money. I don't want you wasting our times in the court. I want you on a plane back to where you came from, back to where you snuck into this country from. I, though, want a regime in which that person can try to get here in a legal way. They don't have that now. The people who say, no, get them all out, they want them to stay out. I don't want them to stay out. I, don't, I think there should be a regime where people can come in and do this legally. The problem is when you come in illegally and you are under the radar, you have no fingerprints at all, you beat up a comp, you don't have any ID, whatever. They lease, release you on bail and you get arrested in Arizona committing a crime three days later. I, I, this is not sustainable and it's not fair. It's not fair to the people who, you know, if I go through a red light, hmm. I have to pay a fucking ticket every time. And there's a people who, you know, do not. And by the way, the people who are rising up against this are working class people. You see this in like Chicago's great example that's been very well covered. And they're actually, I don't give a shit that they're black, quote unquote, but they're working class people. They're people who see this as say like, you know, I follow the laws. I tell my kids to follow the laws. And there's lawlessness out here because when you're not part of the system, you don't have to be part of the system in a legal way either. And so I don't see any reason why people stopped 
for any crime at all, even if it's a misdemeanor, shouldn't be deported the next day. Convince just, me that it should, they should be. I just want to point out that um, as Michael is spitting fire, sorry, well-informed rage, and but also you know intellectual content. Camille is reaching for. Are you going to get the an adapter because my my laptop is done? Okay, Go I thought ahead. you were reaching for the headset. No, no. I was going to be worried. <laughs> yeah, I know that was your that. way of yeah, coping he, he with was Michael. Gonna, he was going to cross the border and the Apple Vision <laughs> <laughs> in three D. Just like reaching out, yeah. like. Pointing and twisting in in weird ways. Um, <laughs> it's not it's fascism because every other country in the fucking world does it. If I overstay my visa by six months in the UK and I punch somebody in a pub and I get arrested, they put me on a plane the next but, day. But no, that's true. No prosecution. I didn't. Uh, well, with the pro look, it depends. I mean, if you commit a murder, of course. If you're running a red light, if you're you know menacing, if you're yelling, like it's not worth it. No, it's not worth the prosecution on that on this the low level stuff. It clogs up the system. It costs us too much money. It fills the fucking jails. And why? Like the, the there's, there's two process questions about that, right? Like if it's just like I, but I, for American citizens, sure. I, no, but like th there's a question of if you're in Times Square, which is a chaotic place, mm -hmm. increasingly chaotic because mm -hmm. of, of certain things these days. Um, and I point just like Curtis Lewa did recently, right? Yeah. Um, and say they did it over there, and you start beating them up, and you target them. Um, and uh, he, he got the wrong people; they weren't the migrants that he thought it was. Yeah, but it's Curtis but it's the Lewa. cops do that. <laughs> yes, which is not unfathomable that someone is accused of being the whip hand on some bad event. Um, do they get deported without any hearing? So yeah. two things. I, mean, I think Mr. That's, Due that's the challenge. Well, well, two things in this is that what if someone is if you have a regime in which someone crosses the border, they get deported or they get stopped from crossing the border, prevent it, right? And they're setting foot on American soil, and the border patrol agent, the Texas Ranger, whatever it might be, sees them cross the border and then grabs them, watches them cross the border, has it on their body cam, whatever. Um you know, in a, in a crime, even if you have it in the body cam, you have to go through court, right? You can't just say, well, you're guilty. I saw you do it. In this case, do you then have to take every person who crosses the border and run them through a court system? Well, maybe. And maybe you do that in an expedited way. I don't think that, I don't think that uh, people caught in the act of crossing the border by a border patrol agent have access to the full court procedure. So, I could be but, wrong but, about that, but no, I, I, no, I, don't I, think, and I, I think they have, they have jurisdiction sure. in the same way that um, a customs and border patrol person, if you come in and they don't like the answers to your questions, mm -hmm. can give you a stamp on your passport and say, fuck off, go back to Japan. Well, that, my, I happened. think the, the, yes, and of course it does. And I think the version of this is if you have no evidence that you should be here or legally, obtain the right to be here, that you start the proceedings to get them out. And I think that every single person, I mean, there was never a coincidence that people would reach the shores of Greece and end up in Sweden. Uh, they're people from warm climates. They're from Syria. Why are they in the coldest country in Europe up by the Arctic Circle? Because they were told. And I, I literally did a story on this and I talked to people about it. And they said, you know, we all knew that when you went to Sweden, you got an apartment. That's why you got to Greece and you're like, okay, well, you're safe now away from the civil war, away from Assad, stay here. Well, no, no, no. All the good stuff's up there. We're going to go there. And, and do I blame them? Of course I don't blame them. I mean, it's acting economically rational in a way. Um, so yeah, you've incentivized them to come. 
And if you incentivize people that none of this stuff happens, and if you do like catch and release, oh, we got you, but you got to come back. <laughs> like, I'm breaking the law now, and you want me to, to, to say that I'm going to adhere to the law and come back and sit for a hearing? No, thank you. Well, I, I don't mean, need that. Some percentage of the catch and release, right, are people who show up to the front door, knock on it, and say, I am an asylum case, whether... Yeah, which are 98% fake. It's it's a huge amount of fakery, for sure, but, like, it isn't necessarily they're caught in the act of coming, right? They knock. Um, And then a large percentage of those don't come back, Mm -hmm. Um, and then also, because of law, they're not allowed to, even if they're completely legal in their sense of showing up for an asylum hearing, um, they have to, like, wait it, the waiting times are abysmal. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that frustrates me about the stalling out of the border bill is that uh, love or hate various aspects of the border bill, it tried to do something about that wait time, yeah. about the legal status of people in that process. I mean, those wait times are years at this yeah. point. They're years. years. Uh, I, I think I think it's less than a year uh, on average, but it, it can be Some years. Some of them are, are, are multiple years. But the thing is, is that... If it's the crime that you've committed and it's not a serious crime, you know, if it's, you know, you and another migrant are staying at the Hotel Pennsylvania, which a lot of people were staying at and they get in a punch up and the police are called. Um, My kind of read on that is that the due process of the actual crime is secondary to the fact that you should be processed for being in the country illegally. And when you don't have any thought that this could possibly happen. You don't care. I mean, the the incentive for people to come streaming through when you're never, no matter what you do in the country, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely untrue of the country that they come from, there is no way that if you are in Venezuela or something and you're causing a ruckus and you're an American, you're not going to be on a plane the next day or be driven to the border with Colombia. It's absolutely standard in all the country, the places where people come from. Although to totally enforce it, uh, in various places and at various times, you yep. have to like enforce a police state. Uh, so, like, well, we've gotten to that point because we have had no enforcement at all. I, no enforcement at all is not, I think, an accurate. There are two hundred thousand migrants, and that's a very low number in New York City, living on the streets, living in ho- living in hotels. I think it's a low number, living in hotels paid for by the American taxpayers or the New York taxpayers, New York taxpayers. including you know we're going to give them. Um, bank cards with New York taxpayer money on it that they can do to buy things. Which we still are pretty alone out there. I think there's no enforcement. I think that would be qualify as no enforcement. I think where I quibble the no enforcement is what happens when you cross the border. I don't think there's a no enforcement. There's a lot of people thrown back. Um, I mean, but... A lot of people get through. True, I'm not saying that. Can we just say, that, say that the border is open d- and that it's not being enforced? I think is inaccurate. It, well, it's <laughs> it's inaccurate in the sense that are more people coming through than are being pushed back. I don't know. Actually, I think that far more people are getting through that are being pushed back. I don't know. I, I mean, I, how many I, millions? I how many millions of people have come through? Really? I do. I, I mean, just. I like, mean, you can just look at images of images. Literally. I don't. I don't there's, actually know. There's like numbers. Yeah, I don't know what the data. People, no, no. Data I, 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 I cannot. I could not possibly imagine, particularly when you. I mean, I've been to the border. I've seen this up close. I have, you know, talked to people in the Texas legislature. Interviewed a bunch of people there. And they're like, we don't have the resources to do any of this either, which is why Governor Abbott does things which I don't right, agree with. Right, but the with. Border Patrol has has upped its personnel and its enforcement budget since the mid-1990s by a factor of 
probably four or five. But if you have a border um, in multiple and, and number, million people are getting through, no, millions, they, they totally they're are. I'm not, I'm not it's saying, a failure. But so is, I, I'm not saying it's not a failure. I'm just like trying to assess in real time the level between who gets in, who doesn't. Um, the number of people that get sent back is also in the millions. But, but sent back to where? Uh, to their country patch. To, like, to, yeah. like just over the border where they cross again or back to their home country? I don't know. I, look, it's it's not working. Um, it's I think every American voter knows this, and it's like way high in the uh, issue set of people looking at the twenty twenty four election, it's, which is yeah, why number yeah. one or number two in most of the polls. Which yeah. is why I predict that Eric Adams, who's been at loggerheads with Joe Biden over this issue for a long time, as as the mayor of Chicago. Um, I predict that Joe Biden is going to be exercising some heretofore um, unexplored um, uh, options for the executive branch to be enforcing things right now in the next like month or two. um, And we'll be like loudly cooperating uh, with Eric Adams's of the world to try to reassure. Which he did not do for a very long time. Which he did not do because Eric Adams is trying to get a bunch of money and Eric Adams is so unskilled at like masking what he's looking for. No, I mean, it's like, please give me federal money. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make Park Slope unhappy in the meantime. There is a example in the history of uh, American elections, which is always called upon and sometimes misunderstood, but usually passed over as just a racial thing a, a racial dog whistle and that was the willie horton ad mm. that was uh, attacking mike dukakis in uh 1988 the thing about what that ad is and what the kind of version of that now is it doesn't matter if you have somebody who i have a lot of respect for like alex um from cato who's been a guest now on the Rasta. show now Rasta, who's a who's a very smart guy and i probably agree with him on uh, a lot of stuff. I have changed my mind as it's gotten worse and worse and worse, and as I've seen it up close and seen the the effects of it, and how there's no political will to to do anything but jaw jaw, as Churchill used to say. But the thing about the Willie Horton ad is that why it was an effective ad is when Alex and people like Alex will say, you know, migrants commit fewer crimes on average. No, 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 stop, 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 stop. We're talking about voters. We're not talking about academic papers. We're not talking about let's adjudicate the numbers and what's good. A woman was murdered, and we saw our friend Mary Catherine Ham tweeting pretty aggressively about it, who was jogging in Georgia, and she was killed by um, an illegal, and I know we're not supposed to say that anymore, whatever, an illegal immigrant killed her. The numbers of illegals who make do these crimes are much lower than the well, the average American thinks one thing about this. If there weren't that illegal here, she would be alive. It's one person. That's all that matters. Mm. And that's the thing, the Willie Horton thing is like he got out on furlough and he killed some people. If you put him in back in jail, he wouldn't have killed those people. But it's not a people, recipe, what people, recipe for it's like, not a recipe for anything. I'm no, saying, it is. No, like, no, no, like no, 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 no. It's not a recipe for anything. I'm saying around. how Americans view interpret this. this. You sure. see one person who was killed 
by and and I I think I probably would agree with Alex on this. I'm not making a point that this is a particularly violent group. I'm not this is the Trump version of this. I'm not saying this at all. But when you see those news stories, when you see the cop being beaten up by five people, you say those cops wouldn't beaten up if there was actually an effective border policy. That's the only thing people think about it. They don't think in a way of like, well, it's a lower number if you actually look blah blah blah. No one cares. They say that woman would be alive if Biden, Trump, Bush, whoever enforced the border. But I'm not, as a political issue. But I, granted, and we live in a world where we have to be sensitive to political sentiments mm-hmm. and and tailor uh, one's advocacy or whatever uh, in terms of that and be realistic about that, which I think are important things to say. Um, at the same time, um, you can easily fear and anecdote yourself into places of madness. Um, you can say that, my God, Len Bias died, so therefore it's really important to make sure that crack cocaine is given 10x the penalties. But, but, of that's, my po- but that's my point. That was so effective. And I just say from a political point of view is that Len Bias was the perfect avatar for the drug war and for giving crack was the super drug to kill people when they first puff of anything. This a poor woman who was murdered in Georgia is that person. It's not about whether that is an accurate representation or if it's demonizing. No, but people. we're in the business of giving accurate representations. No, or, no, but I'm giving an accurate representation of what I think voters respond to. Yeah, correct. But yeah. like, also, there's going to be moments, long moments, yeah. in which voters are going to have a very strong feeling that run counter counter to the strong feeling that one might have, that doesn't mean that you stop having your strong feeling. Oh, no, no, or, I'm not stopping Or anything, making, no. making the counter-argument. I mean, no, 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 I'm not, not making marriage, the counter no. Gay no. marriage, uh, uh, legalized marijuana were severe minority issues as recently as the early 1990s. Severe. Sure. Yeah. Like 25%. Um, and you could always have a an individual action uh, or anecdote of someone running afoul of these being being a proof that those things were bad um and i think that you have to keep those things in mind especially right now and one of the ways that i think the pendulum will correct is that the original impulse about sanctuary cities which is we want to be able to have witnesses of crimes not be deported for sharing their information with the cops mm-hmm. I I still want that. That seems rational. That yeah, seems normal. Maybe they did that in a bit of a broad way. <laughs> and that <laughs> too does, broad of a broad. That is absolutely like consistent with saying, oh, if you just like commit all the crimes, um, you don't get the same sense of con- consideration. Like one you, would hope. Yeah. Correct for that. Oh, for sure. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, right? no, there's in, nothing we disagree with on in, this in the no. same pendulum swing way. And and so then you get to the place where the murderer in Athens, Georgia, if he has a previous criminal record beyond getting here illegally, um, then yes, of course it should be like that. Um, and I think we we will see, I predict, we will see a lot more of those kind of corrections, given that Biden has said that and Eric Adams has said That's that. exactly what he's appealing for. At the we're, moment. Mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot more of that. That doesn't mean that the original impulse is wrong. It means that it needs to be modified and modified with the idea that in the same way, like the cash bail program uh, needs to be modified. If someone has done all the crimes all the time for 75 years mm-hmm. or like 75 times in three years, um, don't use cash bail to make them not have to face consequences for what they do. Yeah. That is the system failing. 
And we're, we're seeing like evidence even right now, Measure 110 in Portland right now is on the verge of being rescinded or, 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 or changed in some way. You have to, and this is towards your position and not towards mine, whatever that is, um, Michael, um, is that you have to calibrate your things towards the reality of how people live in and how they're going to react to it. And also just like, are more people dying because of what you said? Um, but um, that shouldn't, the nod towards that shouldn't govern one's opinions. Measure Measure 110 in Oregon is the drug decriminalization. Yes. So, okay. And Which that is getting rolled back. Um, we're finding out in the next 24 hours, by the time this comes out, it might be changed. Um, it's been on on the verge for a while. A lot of drug legalization groups, which I normally and almost always associate my, myself with, have been in favor of not changing it or not changing it in the way that it's been proposed. Um, and I'm speaking a little bit of, out of ignorance here and sort of secondhand fumes. That's okay. It's fine. But uh, it's not the first time. <laughs> um, but Oregon is seen for a, the course. Yeah. Oregon is seen like a, just a horrifying amount of fentanyl overdose deaths. Mm-hmm. And also Measure 110 included a whole lot of like, we're going to do lots of really nice things for people who are addicts. And they had no idea about how to do that. Um, and by the way, I think the it. tying of the fentanyl issue to the border issue is disingenuous in about a thousand ways, mostly because it's a supply and demand problem. And we have had drugs in this country, ample access to drugs at every stage of America's demand for drugs, including in prisons, including in prisons, including in the 1980s, where people were commandeering submarines from Columbia and, you know, running them ashore on in Florida. People will find. Well, it was amazing, but people will find ways of that. (laughs) I think that is one of the more disingenuous arguments that like, yeah, of course, it comes to the border. Of course, you should be looking out for this stuff. But and again, as I say, I said at the beginning of what I was saying there is I probably agree with Alex on most of this stuff. And if you listen to the old episode, I mean, I was about as, you know, kind of soft on these issues as Alex was. I didn't challenge him on any of this stuff. I do generally agree with that position. But in the frank lunts of it all, in talking to people about this and looking at opinion polls, I mean, it is Democrats would be very, very smart to tack to, I guess, what would be the right on this issue and, and, and stop the fear of people like AOC and the squad who exert an undue influence on their own party because there are very few of them and those opinions aren't very popular swing voters which everybody needs independence what everybody needs in this they think exactly as i was saying and i say that not because it's an instinct it's because if you track all the polling on this stuff it's an issue that galvanizes people it's usually number one or two on the list of things that actually are motivating people in this election it's a fair place or a good place perhaps to transition here because you were talking about the squad. We had a few mem- re- references to them. And a moment ago, Welch, not a, a couple of moments ago, you mentioned certain policies that tend to be very popular with voters. Um, and the you mentioned specifically defending Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel being in the American interest. And just, generally feeling, yeah. feeling positive about this. Now, interestingly... We recently had a couple of primary decisions that came down that are perhaps a little instructive, particularly in Michigan. Uh, We do, I suspect you know, listeners, that Nikki Haley did get trounced in South Carolina. And Michigan. um, And it was much worse in Michigan. But there's some interesting action on the other side of the ticket as well in Michigan in particular, where it was was Rashida Tlaib who was 
campaigning on behalf of this essentially protest vote in Michigan Mm -hmm. where people were writing in uncommitted or voting for uncommitted. um, And Biden got 81% of the vote there in Michigan and uncommitted got 13% of the vote, I believe, which made it put it in second place. Third place, Miriam Williamson, who oh, unsuspended mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. campaign <laughs> as a result of She's outperforming Dean Phillips. Um, I think she picked up 3%. He had, Phillips had 2.7%. But uncommitted, 13%, way overperformed expectations there. And this is Rashida Tlaib in Michigan, essentially architecting this, insisting that she's very proud to have cast an uncommitted ballot as opposed to voting explicitly for Joe Biden. Now, there's all sorts of questions about what percentage of people who are willing to cast an uncommitted ballot in a Democratic primary, which essentially has zero consequence whatsoever. You, you can't Donald Trump can't win because you cast an uncommitted ballot right. in Michigan this this time around. But would you do that in November? Would uncommitted people stay home if they're still dissatisfied with Biden, the Biden administration's policy towards um, the Palestinians and in favor of the Israelis? Um, and that remains unclear, but it is an interesting place where the squad is actually able to have. And maybe Michigan is just completely unique. I think. I um, think. But they certainly were able to have some meaningful impact on an election that perhaps doesn't matter except rhetorically right I now. I think the squad isn't the main driver of that result. The main driver is that Michigan is the most concentrated Arab American population in the country mm-hmm. um, and is a college town, a college town of a state. Or at least, it, like the University of Michigan is gigantic. There's mm-hmm. a lot of college students there, and um, both of those things are pretty interesting. And the one that I think probably has Joe Biden getting the vapors the most isn't necessarily the Arab American thing. It's the students. Um, if you look at polling, uh, public attitudes about uh, Israel policy. Gaza policy and Joe Biden thereof, it is so striking the difference between 18 to 29-year-olds and everybody else, Mm. Um, especially 18 to 29-year-old Democrats, but that's kind of redundant, uh, or at least was until this year at some point. And they're nervous about that. Yes, they're nervous about Michigan as uh, overall, because it's a swing state, like it's razor thin Mm -hmm. swing state. And you can tell the flop sweat in the Biden administration really as kind of immediately as you can Eric Adams's sort of uh, like naked attempts to try to politicize the immigrant issue to try to get more money from the Biden administration. Like it's like it's on their breath. And there's been a bunch of reporting about things at the State Department and various other things where it's clear that the Biden administration policy towards Israel right now and the Israel-Gaza conflict is – being shaped by his concerns over the youth vote and the Democratic base um, and to some extent the Arab American base in Michigan, a swing state, uh, about this issue. He's freaked. Um, 81% or you know, 13% for uncommitted is less impressive than and part of you wants to hope, right? Like I'm, I'm rooting for the weird in this election because hmm. I want something to believe in, even if the weird is <laughs> – yeah. is, I know I, something to believe in, something to look forward to. I'm okay. looking forward to chaos a little okay. bit here because I don't want, like most Americans, I don't want the Trump Biden rematch. And so I want something that's exciting about it. Um, and I don't agree necessarily with those young Democrats and the 
uh, Arab American population about the Biden administration conduct on this. Um, in fact, kind of close to the opposite, like the amount to which that is shaping, I think, uh, some of the Biden administration um, uh, process and approach towards the war is kind of weird. Like you feel it um, in there's been a lot of recent super distancing from Netanyahu. Not that you shouldn't distance from Netanyahu because mm-hmm. he's a jerk and he has bad ideas about a, a plenty of, of different things. But there's been a real like, you know, uh, White House feeling like we need to tell them now more than ever that there's a two state solution. And if they don't enshrine that <laughs> in their post-war ideas, then they are the bad people. Now more than ever. Um, God. <laughs> there's never been a time when it's less likely than now. But it's yeah. like, uh, I mean, yeah. it's insane. I know that, yeah. much less about Israel and that conflict than probably everybody in the State Department. But I do know one thing. Eh. <laughs> you never know. Okay. State Department. I might be exaggerating. But like, I'm pretty confident that the people who live in Israel, if they overthrew the, the Netanyahu administration tomorrow, which they might, but probably won't, unfortunately, um, they're not going to accept a post-war settlement that doesn't involve them having a sense, personally, of total security that they didn't have um, beginning on October 7th. And that total security is the thing that matters to them much more than a one-state, two-state, half-state, whatever state solution. Mm. And I think that the Biden administration right now is really trying to signal to those voters that they're scared about in Michigan, no, we're totally on your side, even though that is expressed mostly in us having sort of irritable phone calls with Bibi Netanyahu. Can can we pivot in some way and talk about something that's related to this? Um, this kid who set himself on fire yeah. uh, in front of the Israeli embassy. So uh, Bush, Aaron Bushnell. Aaron Bushnell. Yeah. Um, I yeah, guess. I mean, it's relevant in a bunch of ways because people are talking about it on the internet. But I think it's uh, it's really bummed me out, which I think is probably the most kind of anti-intellectual way of putting it. It's just bummed me out. But it did in a way that didn't actually surprise me, but that really kind of depressed me. And it isn't a surprise. Um, I, I'm interested in seeing people express a certain surprise by this, but I don't know why they would. Because the rhetoric surrounding this conflict has been one of ordinary people who grew up in ordinary circumstances, not people that grew up under the boot heel of the IDF in the West Bank in mm-hmm. Janine or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I use that in the language that they would use. <laughs> I'm not saying that myself. People that are young activists, etc., that seem to have lost or never had a moral compass. And it's being reinforced by people on the internet who also don't have moral compasses that when you on the day after and the timeline of this is something that I fear will be forgotten in five, 10 years time, the timeline of the protests denouncing Israel, which this is something that even people listen to this podcast who are very, shall we say, pro-Palestinian who disagree with me on this issue can also agree with, I would think, is that the day after... Uh, the 7th, the 8th in New York City, there was a protest in support of the Palestinians, in support of the people of Gaza before an Israeli response had happened. They were flooding 
Yes, very. This, in the same week as the Israelis were formulating their response, they were telling the people of New York City, telling their quote unquote comrades that they were on the side of not the Palestinians, but on the side of Hamas. I think that's a pretty fair characterization. And I asked people when I went to the flood, the Brooklyn flood, who told me very explicitly they would not condemn Hamas. And that was the joke, like, oh, you want me to condemn Hamas? Yes, in fact, I do. Because I'm trying to figure out what you believe and what sort of moral reprobate you are. And for someone to say, I, am, I feel very deeply for the people of Gaza and what the IDF is doing, and you cannot at the very same time say, I don't really care that a grandmother was pulled from her house who survived the Holocaust and is made to live and be tortured in a, a hole in the ground in Gaza for you know God knows how long, four or five months at this point. And you are out there saying that this guy who set him on fire is heroic. Set himself on fire, yeah. Set himself on fire, yeah, is heroic. I'm not surprised about this at all. These are people who have assimilated the use of violence and this kind of horror as a tactic. And it reminds me of young people now with the kind of feedback loop of the internet and social media of what happened of people on the left in the late 1960s and early 1970s. The embrace of violence, of justified violence, of the use of the word imperialism all the time. Talking about a country, by the way, who's just, you know, wants its own survival. And there is, of course, an enormous amount of dispute about what to do uh, the West Bank and Gaza Strip, et cetera. But imperialists would imply, like Britain, when the sun never set on its empire, is looking for places throughout the world to overwhelm and introduce slavery and plunder their natural resources. To refer to the Israeli state as an imperialist state is rather odd to me, but it fits the language that one uses in this context. This is the language that you use this day in this age and the way that you signal to people that you have the right-on attitude about this. So it doesn't surprise me in any way that this poor, misguided, and yes, we should say it, deeply mentally ill kid who was in the Air Force, covered himself in an accelerant and set himself on fire and killed himself in front of the Israeli embassy while screaming free Palestine. There is nothing normal about that. And to normalize that is a disgusting sickness, a moral sickness, to say, well, he cared about the videos that he saw on TikTok and so therefore took his own life, you know, immiserated his parents, his friends, destroyed the lives of people who were close to him because he had a misguided idea that anyone would give two shits that he set himself on fire and that everyone would say, you know, we got to stop what we're doing in the Middle East. And it reminded me of something where I went to college in Amherst, Massachusetts. A kid set himself on fire. And guess what? You don't know who he is because he's totally forgotten about. And the fact that I remember him is I don't think people in Amherst remember him. Set himself on fire in the town square, radicalized by the typical radical politics of Amherst, Massachusetts, um, at the outset of the first Gulf War. Mm. Killed himself. In the middle mm. of town, set himself on fire as if he was a monk in Vietnam in 1966. Absolute lunacy that people would say, this is a righteous response to what is happening in the Middle East. It is a lunatic response, and you only have to look at, I'm sorry for filibustering here, but only have to look at 
this guy's Reddit posts, which have been excavated after they were stupidly, by the way, I don't know why the fuck this happens, is that these fucking social media companies delete all their posts. No, we need that. Yeah. We need to have an understanding of where this stuff comes from, understanding of the path this guy took very quickly, about a year and a half ago, into deeply radical politics. And in that, the guy who set himself on fire killed himself in front of people, in front of the embassy, to the criticism was there was a guy holding a gun to him. Well, yeah, of course. This is a country that's known the second intifada, people blowing themselves up, killing families and children in pizza parlors. Of course, they're trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Uh -huh. This is a chaotic totally moment. Yeah. Don't fucking criticize the guy in this chaotic moment. But this guy's Reddit posts include things, and there's a lot of fake stuff out yeah. there too, by the way, but includes things which I have actually verified of somebody's, uh, of this kid saying, there are no innocents in Israel because it is an occupied colonial state. And I don't even, I don't think he even went so far as saying that they're all in the IDF. There are no innocents. Think about the absolute lunacy of that statement. Mm. A baby, you can go shoot a baby in square between the eyes. Your newborn can be taken out of the hospital and shot in the face because some fucktard, you know, Air Force idiot in America who's going to set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy, says you don't deserve a life because he's interpreted politics in 22 years old and understands it all. He knows it. He knows what's right and what's wrong. And if you're going to kill somebody, an Israeli civilian, that is fine by him. That's the person you want to defend? Be my guest, but I'm not going to defend him. I'm sorry. I think it's disgusting the way the people have defended him. I've been trying to work through my conflicts about self-immolation, as one has. <laughs> hmm. um, because... Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I used to live in Prague, and um, <laughs> and uh, one of the key martyr mm -hmm. figures in Czechoslovakia was a guy, a student named Jan Pollock, who same age basically, mm -hmm. immolated himself in Wenceslas Square, I believe, in January of 1969, mm -hmm. um, some months after the August 68 uh, invasion of Soviet, the Warsaw Pact. There's a good film about it, by the way. Um, I interviewed the guy who made Jan Pollock's death mask um, uh, at his funeral and um, the incredible uh, sculpture, sculptor named Olbram Zobek, um, who then uh, wasn't able to work officially for 20 years as a result of that. Mm. Um, and uh, well, Why wasn't he able to work for 20 years? Let's try to work that one through. Why wouldn't the person who made the death mask of the anti-communist martyr <laughs> be able to work in the totalitarian communist country mm -hmm. um, after that happened? It's because the totalitarian government, um, Soviet imposed, for the most part, um, would not tolerate people to celebrate or even recognize this person's death in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. And in fact, in the 1989 revolutions, some of that was... Um, triggered in part by commemorations of his death there's a there's a uh, an area on the top of Wenceslas square where he did that where people um in fact when i lived there um uh, for basically eight years consecutively there were candles that were always lit in this space it wasn't even officially commemorated it was just like this area everyone knew mm. and so they would have candles there because they they took sustenance and honor of that um, so, um, why is that self-immolation good and why the other, uh, one isn't? Because he experienced it. 
because he experienced it. Yeah. And this gets me to the monks that you were talking about yeah. in Vietnam, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is there is something poetic, still tragic, still, you know, a decent chance the mental illness and all kinds of other things are associated with it. But if you're a prisoner, mm-hmm. if you're basically a prisoner yeah. and you don't have a choice, um, it becomes a kind of poetic Central European way, perhaps, mm-hmm. of dealing with this or Far Eastern way of dealing with this and showing the hopelessness of where you're at to do this kind of empathetic, I'm now on this side here and this is how I'm going to show it. Would it I, I don't remember offhand whether there were any self-immolations during the anti-apartheid protests in the mid-1980s on college campuses in America. I don't think that there were, but there was maybe might have been one or two. Um, in retrospect, that would have seemed weird. And I'm, for the most part, um, on the side of the people who are doing those protests. They were, you know, it was for divestment of the University of California, investment, whatever, we can argue about that. But uh, the target of their protests is was a target of mine too, which is the apartheid government. It's fucked up. Um, apartheid's bad. Um, but you don't set yourself on fire in a third-party country as a free person, I, right. I don't think, yeah. of doing that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's useless a, as a form of protest. And there, there was a universe Sorry, of options available to him. Correct. If he wanted to take some sort of action to make a statement, he, he could have resigned from the military, for example. He could have gone to, to fight for to Hamas. Be, continuing to be complicit. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that he could have done. The fact that he made the choice to set himself ablaze um, in front of a military building in the United States is just bizarre. And and I, I will admit that I, I felt a similar sort of way, just very disturbed by disturbing. the number of people who were posting things like rest in power um, in response to this <laughs> horrific But then others act. posted, you can't say that because that's for black people. You saw that, right? I, I didn't see that. There but were multiple I'm, But I figured that, that was the case. Mad, actually. people were mad. And that's the madness of all of these people, yeah. right? That's, why would it be You're any other way? Yeah. But I mean- He wouldn't, he wouldn't want this. Aaron wouldn't want this for you, you to, you, look, to be white supremacist. If you look at his posts on Reddit, you do see what I think is a disturbing- Trend. I mean, this is not somebody that's normal, right? I, I wouldn't say that this is a normal response to what's happening in a faraway land in which you have no connection. Mm-hmm. It's not like you have family living there. It's not like, you know, my cousin was killed in a bombing, etc. Um, you, I guess, would then attack people from the IDF or Americans that went enjoy. That's a very common thing from people on his side of the ledger to attack Americans <coughs> that that and denounce them. And there's a protest in front of the comedy cellar where... Somebody was a, a, a IDF soldier was giving a um, well a former IDF soldier. Somebody was giving a, a Coleman a, Hughes. Coleman was interviewed. Decided right? it was a good idea to interview IDF soldiers on the stage of the Comedy Cellar, and it turned out not to be great. Idea. Well, they the, well I it might have been. I don't. I didn't see it. But the thing that is interesting about it is that um, you know a couple of weeks previous, Norman Finkelstein and Cornell West were on stage at the exact wow. same problems. stage, yeah. Yeah. talking about how. Israel, uh, you know, Norman Finkelstein says Israel deserved it. And he says it's like, you know, Nat Turner's rebellion, October 7th. Uh-huh. I mean, that's pretty offensive to they a lot of people in Israel. They had a duty to do what they did. And, and a duty to do what they did. That's and no one complained about that. And I don't think they should have complained about that. You shouldn't complain about people airing their views. But you know what's really interesting about that? Is that so, if, so if Israelis respond to that, 
what's happened on October 7th. They, you know, are American Jews, many of whom have family there, maybe many of whom are, who are Jewish who feel a special kinship to the only Jewish state in a people who have had a very, very tough ride in the past thousand years, right? Longer than that. Maybe they would go and say, I want to fight for the IDF, and they would be accused of being war criminals and monsters, etc. But it also should be noted that nobody else has done this, and nobody else will do this. Do the, what? Sorry. Self-immolate. I, on yeah, behalf I, of Israel in America. I don't know. Well, you have things, a 300 things are, things and fucking 40 million people. You might get one person. And yeah. this person, you sent me this piece, uh, Camille, from MSNBC of this complete dope saying, here is the history of self-immolation, all mm-hmm. of which are people responding to occupation governments of their own, yeah. of their own country being occupied. Not somebody in a third country who has been so radicalized by internet politics that they decide that the most effective thing for them to do, which by the way, is just also incredibly dumb to think that the most effective you can be. And when I was saying kind of out of the corner of my mouth, I was not being sarcastic that go fight for, go fight for Hamas. I'm not joking. Go fight for, for the, the, you know, PLO or, you know, Fatah do that. Okay. If you believe in the cause like that, what are you doing? You're having in a people, life and death personal way, yeah. No one will remember you in two weeks, and I'm sorry to say that. I feel bad for this kid. I do not scorn him in the way that it sounds like I do. I truly feel bad because I do, like, this, I think it's obnoxious for these people, like this MSNBC guy, say, like, oh, everyone sees this as a mental health issue. It's clearly it's a mental, clearly health, mental health issue. How, is it not, yeah. how could it not uh, be? Uh, but Moynihan, I think that might be part of, the, we we begun here this evening, mm. at least not begun, but got to it eventually, just the derangement of our politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and the reality is that he is being venerated now. Yes. And he's being defended on MSNBC and we're being chastised by MSNBC, The Nation and various other publications not to dismiss the things that he says when explaining his his radical act of protest. Um, we have to take it seriously and, and honor it. He will rest in power. I don't think they will let us forget Aaron's name in two months. I I think they're pretty fringe, but imagine what that way of thinking gets you. I I I mean, honestly, think about it. It's disturbing. Because when you say that there are many, many tens, hundreds of thousands of people in America that have similar views to Aaron Bushnell, I guess was Mm -hmm. something like that. Many, many people who they don't care about, they will not talk about and they're saying that an act of extremism and violence, violence in this case towards oneself, mm-hmm. means that you will get a hearing on MSNBC or in their pages on their website and say, rest in power. We will paint murals of you. We will say that you are an addict. What does that encourage people to do? Yeah. It is by the grace of God that the tick in that guy's brain didn't say, well, actually, the right thing to do here, uh-huh. I'm going to die anyway. I should is kill my kill, comrades. Exactly. Yeah. Kill a bunch of Israelis. Yeah, yeah. Kill a bunch of Jews. Kill a bunch of people protest or having a conversation with Coleman about the war and what the war on the ground in I mean, Gaza is like. It's Why? Not, it's not far off. It's not far off. You encourage that stuff. You're encouraging a type of violence. It's violence against oneself. Don't think that's a very, very far leap between that yeah. because you're going to kill yourself. What consequences are there to that? Only heroism to kill yourself and kill somebody else in the process. Leila Khalid, who hijacked jets in the 1960s and 70s, is an icon of the Palestinians. I, people that have T-shirts of her because she looked cool with the, the you know headscarf on and the machine gun on the plane. I mean, 
there are people who have been venerated that have done things that I think are absolutely terrible. I mean, think about the Panthers in this country. Mm -hmm. I wrote a piece about that saying like, all these people had participated in enormous acts of violence, horrible acts of violence, usually against other Panthers. Yeah, and much of it was not... Uh, political in any way. No, it was like I'm going to slap a bitch. It's I started. Really like the, I started the piece that I wrote for the Daily Beast, which is the one that I wrote for them that I'm the happy, proudest about. Uh, proudest of is uh, the Stanley Nelson thing that I went to while he was there and watched this documentary. And the first image in the screen was somebody who tortured and participated in the murder of a kid named Alex Rackley. And if you go back to Panther, the Park, Sacramento thing, uh, no, New Haven. Oh. So it was the New Haven thing, and a guy named Warren Kimbrough, who was actually the tr- I don't know if he's a trigger man, but he was probably was. He was the ones that brought him out to the field and shot him. But they believed him to be a police informant. They burned him with boiling pots of water in the mm. basement, and they recorded this on audio. The audio was found not too long ago, and the audio is horrifying, horrifying to listen to. The person on that audio is the first beautiful image in that film. A woman talking about what it was like to be a panther. None of this stuff is, of course, men- mentioned. But that is all forgotten about. The violence mm-hmm. of that is forgotten about. We are very, very it's good. It's all we have. Yeah. It's all we all have. All we have now is is the is the beauty of uh, Radical Chic. Yes. The, the, all of the, the beautiful documentaries that are filled with half-truths. Mm-hmm. Um, the Black Power mixtape, which yep. Angela Davis is celebrated in that. Made by Van, a sweet vanguard of the revolution. There's another yeah. one that was on PBS. There's a sign in my <laughs> neighborhood uh, that I saw today. I yeah. think I might have taken a picture of it on a lamppost that uh, was advertising a Black Power film night. Mm. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be pretty good. Probably. No, well, no, it's, it's their documentaries about how the Panthers were amazing. It's not like Sweet yeah. Sweetback. You know, yeah. <clears throat> like a no. That's probably what was playing at the uh, what is the Ghetto Film Festival that I was imagined to have attended. But we don't we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> what was that? We don't have to I'm talk sure. about that. Not sure. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I told you about it. I'll, I'll remind you later about the, the context. It's kind of crazy, but yeah. Sorry, I've been so angry tonight. No, I oh, mean, that's it's, so different. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Is that different? I've been. If I, I, I think depends. I've been kind of calm recently. It, even this, though, this doesn't even sound like anger. I mean, I think there's a, a sincere, a it's sincere outrage it's and like born outrage. of yeah. depression and frustration with the the tangible facts of our time. But let's also remember that this is going to be a really bad year. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No. I'm I mean, sorry. I thought you were going to turn it in a different direction. No, I'm turning. Much. I'm you're, leaning into you're... it. Like, yeah. it's, it's so obvious in just monitoring, uh, not in a Stassi way, uh, <laughs> comments and and feedback and stuff. People are getting hepped up um, about the election and about the stakes of things. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more tense. A lot more tense about everything. They want to know if you're saying a thing about Biden. Well, do you say that about Trump and vice versa and a bunch mm-hmm. of other different ways? Besides. The answer is usually yes. <laughs> As for us, it's always yes. They're um, both old. They're both terrible. Neither yeah. one of them should be president of the United yeah. States. I was really happy to see uh, at the end of the uh, of the uh, Trump sneakers thing that um, – there was Biden sneakers. Oh, the, the oh, Shane Gillis yeah, uh, SNL thing. Yes. Shane's triumphant <laughs> return to SNL. He never yes. made it to air the first go around. Uh, we, we, sure we, as hell dominated. And if you subscribe, you'd know we talked, Matt and I got a brief little uh, chat about that. But we also had a chat about something that somebody emailed us about today and said, um, I know you've talked about it already, the Tucker thing, but have you watched him with this guy, Lex Friedman, mm-hmm. who I'm totally mystified by this guy. 
I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad interviewer. He's pretty. Max, oh, yeah. I just don't know where he comes from, and like, I don't know. I don't understand why people get so successful. Like Mr. Beast. Like I don't understand any of this stuff anymore. Yeah, I don't yeah, understand why fine. people are successful. <laughs> but he's not a bad interview. He seems like a pretty interesting guy. But he did a thing with Tucker. But I will say one thing about it because somebody asked about it. Mm. And in the context of what we're talking about now, is the 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 depressing kind of feeling that you get when you are confronted with political extremism. There was a line in the Tucker thing. I watched probably about 20 minutes of it. And he talked about how his entire life he was, you know, rolling his eyes against that guy who you've had on your podcast. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if all this guy's Lex Friedman's podcast. I had to go look it up. But then he said, the professor from MIT. And he said, oh, Chomsky. Oh. And he said, you know, this guy who said, you know, the Americans, they kill foreign leaders to affect their... Uh, election outcomes, and I took that, and I, you know, I, that was anti-American. I was opposed. Mm-hmm. I, I hated this person. And then he paused. He's like, it turns out he was right. And Tucker Carlson saying in his fifties that he's determined that Noam Chomsky has been right about all his foreign policy views. It was not surprising to me that that was the one quote that kind of pricked up my ears, and it was also the one quote that was excerpted by Glenn Greenwald on his Twitter and said, see, like he's, he's, this is what the right is thinking now. The right is correct now. And, um, I will just say, I don't agree with that position, but, um, wasn't that, wasn't that in the context of him talking about Navalny and suggesting that it's unclear. We don't know what happened there. We certainly don't know that the Russians were responsible. And he essentially (laughs) suggested that there wouldn't be good reason for them to do it at this Mm. particular time. It would have been inopportune. How could anyone possibly do that? It's stupid. And then went through this entire exercise of positing the various reasons why, or at least suggesting that there are credible reasons why the Ukrainians might have done this or the Americans (laughs) might have done this. It's fucking insane. And the thing to keep in mind is, sure, we, we don't know for a fact but there are so many things that we don't know for a fact that, yes. that Tucker insists are a matter of virtual certitude. Correct. Like the United States is in possessions of UFOs mm-hmm. and alien corpses and also is responsible for having blown up the Nord Stream pipeline. He and knows blown, those and blown things. blown up JFK's head. He knows those <laughs> things for a fact. He Correct. has asserted as much on yeah. multiple occasions. Sure. It's very odd. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah. one instance where he's just, ah, I'm not so sure. It's fairly self-serving we that this, this, this one evidence. opposition leader who sure. was incarcerated by the Russian government. Like, in the in, fucking in Arctic Circle, yeah. Yeah. where America has lots of agents within the prison Huge system. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> insane. And they, probably, they could have killed, like the Ukrainians could have killed him to uh, provoke sympathy. Seriously? Yeah. That is definitely what they're trying to do right now. As yeah. I said. As they are losing more territory. Recently on this podcast, and it was true, so I'll repeat it over and over again, is that like his position understood is always what the elite in America have been telling you is suspect and probably wrong. And the opposite is probably true that everyone's looking for his ideology. What does he really believe? What does he not? Um, if you like use that as your like governing hypothesis, that's it. Yeah. That's going to be it. Oh, they're trying to tell you that um, Russia mm-hmm. killed Navalny, right? It's going to be that. Know that? It's like, well, <laughs> why would you wouldn't know that? How would you know that? But I think that maybe the opposition figure that they previously poisoned could have been the Ukrainians that poisoned him. Yeah. That poisoned him, and then the second he came back to Russia, arrested him, had a sham trial, and 
put him in a Siberian gulag. And the last time we saw him after him disappearing for a month and a half, he mm. looked to be about 105 pounds. Mm. That was a Ukrainian job, I guess. I think that you have to pretend to be stupid to believe that this was something that, well, why would they do it right now? Because they don't fucking care. They don't mm -hmm. care. And mm -hmm. they know that despite the aid that Ukraine gets, and, they're, and by the way, Ukraine is not going to get aid from Republicans in Congress because Navalny was killed. That's not how this kind of works. It takes a long time. They're not thinking about, well, we should wait. And by the way, if you have an order to make this guy's life miserable, which is absolutely the order that comes through from the top, and he dies on the day that they're at the Munich Security Conference, it doesn't mean Vladimir Putin didn't kill him. Putting somebody in a stress position in a Arctic gulag mm. for the crime of being opposed to your government is what I think that people believe in freedom should actually care about. That itself is the crime. And if they die in custody, you have to ask yourself, would Navalny have died under, you know, Boris Yeltsin in 1995, under Angela Merkel? Would he be dead if he lived in Germany? He would not. He was dead because he lived in Russia. And it's not because the Americans, you know, were so good. We are the worst people at this. <coughs> Nobody is worse at covering their tracks and what they do than the United States of America. We don't know who killed Boris Nemtsov. We never will. Because unless, you know, they kept detailed notes and then the entire regime falls in the next six months, we still don't know what happened in the Soviet Union because they, they zipped up those archives after being open for about a year and a half, two years. We don't know these things. We are bad at it. They are actually quite good at it. There is a documentary that um, Channel 4 in the UK did, and I should put it in the show notes. It's a three-part thing about, you know, Putin, something of a spy, whatever. It sounded like a bad, stupid thing. I watched the three parts. It was absolutely brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And there's two, there's another BBC did a documentary called Putin at War, which literally interviews everybody, like everybody's in it. Like Boris Johnson's in it. Zelensky's in it. You know, Rush, like the Russian ambassador to the UK is in it. They try to get everybody. And it is an amazing picture. And you watch that and then you think of these clowns that have anointed themselves Ukraine experts that, you know, sit on Twitter all day. Um, and you see that, like, you watch this, and it's like, you are blaming the rape victim for the rape. You know what happened. Everybody knows what happened. It's a very, very simple story. You listen to the Russians, and they'll tell you the truth about it. You listen to Putin, and he'll tell you the truth about it. It's not about NATO. It's, this is ours. It's been ours for fucking 2,000 years. That's why we took it. <laughs> no, 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 it was NATO, says the guy in fucking San Rafael or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> I'm glad that you told me, but th this um, Channel 4 documentary about Putin's rise is absolutely brilliant. And one of the things it does address is the apartment bombings in 99-2000 that sets off the second Chechen war and really solidifies Putin's power. And it's incredible the things that Tucker believes, the conspiracy theories he does, that he believes. The amount of evidence that you see in this that that the dictator of Russia blew up his own civilians, his own citizens, and the FSB was complicit in that, is pretty compelling. I'm not saying I entirely agree with it. I'm not saying I entirely believe it, but it's really compelling, far more compelling that RFK was killed by the CIA. Please, no. But he doesn't believe that. These are people who believe the things that correspond with their ideologies. They're not truth seekers. That's not what they're going for. You know, America did a lot of bad things. I acknowledge that, and I acknowledge when it's been overstated. 
for the purposes of kind of Chomsky and politics. But that's not what Tucker does. He's like, he has come to the other side. He's just on the other side now. And all of the conspiracies, as, as Camille points out, he believes them all, provided they work against the general idea of what modern, you know, late Tucker is. <laughs> the late style of Tucker. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I've been going for a bit. Yeah. You should maybe, maybe punch out. Um, there's always stuff left on the there's table. There's always stuff left on the oh, table. Mitch McConnell. Shout out to Mitch McConnell. Shout out to Mitch. Who, uh, 82 years old, is the longest serving Senate minority, um, Senate leader, not minority leader, but Senate leader. Yeah. Uh, is uh, resigning. He's done. He's yeah. finished after this. He's done. Yes. MAGA. <laughs> I mean, he's presided over a very interesting period. Tumultuous might be the right word in describing the implications for the Republican Party. It's a totally different Republican Party when Mitch McConnell first came to power. That is correct. Um, and is now on his way out. He was still you know, uh, an ally of Trump's occasionally, but was often a bit of a thorn in his side. He outlasted Trump by Donald so Trump. much. How much does he hate Donald Trump? But also, it's got to be a lot. Yes, Mitch McConnell is cocaine. Mitch, it, cocaine. Mitch <laughs> is cognitively degraded. We've forgotten about this yeah. already, but there's it's been like, eighty-two. Yeah, he's stroked out a little bit at a couple of press conferences yeah. Yeah. and stuff, and like leave. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, well, that's what he's doing, right? Give him credit for that. Yeah. No, I am, um, and I give him credit for unlike uh, at eighty-two, <laughs> almost all eighty-two. I mean, yeah. Um, today, when we're recording, it's now my mother's eighty-fifth birthday, so it's always oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Um, but uh, Mitch McConnell understands, appreciates, and uses the levers of actual power, and as someone who hates power. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't necessarily respect the game, but there's also a bit of uh, so much of politics are people outside of power using media, using memes, um, using their powerlessness, frankly, mm. to like impersonate um, doing things. Um, at this point in our degraded national life, I appreciate that Mitch McConnell always was kind of aware of the limitations of what he in this moment where the legislative branch is withering by the second um, used whatever leverage he could to do what he wants only about half of which was anything that was interesting or good for my team, whatever that team might be. Um, But like, there's so much Fantasia associated with modern politics. He was not about that. He was not about the Fantasia. He was about the grubby mechanics of power um, Mm -hmm. and once and his grubby mechanics of power is animated by his sense that he fucking hates Donald Trump. Yeah, and uh, him out of the way, um, the perspectiveness of a of a, a prospect, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. of a Trump pre- presidency. That's a horrible combination. Um, so there might be a time really soon that we, despite everything else, miss cocaine, Mitch. Mm. The way politics was done in Mitch's day. And the way politics changed under Donald Trump's tutelage uh, reminded me of like John Lydon, Johnny Rotten. Yeah. Like after the punk thing, he just like hated every band. And he was like, you fucking don't know anything. You know, it's like what we went through. And that's kind of Mitch McConnell to me. He's the fucking John Lydon, the Johnny Rotten of it. It's like, 
it used to be so perfect when I, and again, that's totally wrong. And it was wrong when John Lydon says it too, but it was so perfect. And you guys fucking came in with all you young whippersnappers who's like t t eight years younger than him or something yeah. <laughs> and fucked it all up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, you got to give him some credit. Um, not my favorite person in the world and stroking out on camera. Um, maybe he's doing this so he can say to uh, Joe Biden, like, look, dude, I'm stroking out on camera and I'm peacing out. Maybe you should do the same thing. <laughs> Lead by example. Well, Joe Biden knows that America's come much further and we don't care about small things like no, that. You know, your inability to do the job is no <laughs> obstacle to you being given the job. That is the America. Do you remember that, that was the argument for Fetterman? Yeah. It was the argument. It was like, he's <clears throat> stroked out. Like, well, yeah, he doesn't do it. Like his staffers well, are fine. And then what happened? Stroking out was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> he was like, fuck, became... fuck all y'all. But I mean, he was a disaster. Like he was in it was really, crazy. really bad shape. We forget how crazy that was. Yeah. He was in very, very bad shape. Dude, watching that debate. Oh, it's no good. Oh my God, so bad. It, I was, mean, it was hard. Like who let him do that? His wife. His wife. She's like a... Yeah, I don't know about Watch her. Watch <laughs> Watch I, don't know. I mean, he seems to be doing I'm not gonna say substantially gonna say. better now. No, he's going to run for president. This but is, she's this is gone. Yeah. She did just bounce. She kind of gave a yeah, bronze. She might have bounced. got bounced. Yeah. You think she got bounced? Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet she's in a fucking tunnel somewhere. I think somewhere that's why like, he finally he's realized. waving the fucking Israeli flag on the top of his penthouse. Like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. yeah. Huh. I don't know, man. Like, I was wrong about that, but not because wrong he, about what about Fetterman? Yeah, you were right at the time. He was not no, well. No, no, at but the time. I was I was right at the time, and I'm not saying I was wrong because like now he came out like oh, he had a head injury and now he's right about things. Not because of that. <laughs> he's right about what? No, because I just like. didn't think he could recover in the way that he did. Yeah, I think and that is the that is the point. R irrespective no, of his sparring. particular policy, yeah. he's sparring. Yeah, and like fucking good for him. Like I. No, I would listen, like I to I think that I would say the same unwell. thing. Yeah, I think if he probably he was, would have had a faster recovery if yeah. he'd not gone and stayed in politics after having a massive stroke. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's really, it's actually disgusting to see the way that people are willing to put everything second to politics. Mm -hmm. Like, Fetterman staying on the campaign trail, everyone around him lying for the benefit <laughs> yes. of him getting into office. Correct. And they're doing exactly the same sort of thing where Joe Biden is concerned. 100%. Everyone who works for the White House is doing exactly the same. And it's it's actually kind of disgusting to see. I, I don't have any particular respect or admiration for Joe Biden as a politician, but as a human, I see this yeah, elderly yeah. man up there on stage clearly not up to this job certainly not up for another four years of it no he should retire like he should retire and he should spend those last couple of precious years he has with his family and he should get the fuck out of the way mm -hmm. so someone else like mild, re remotely competent could actually Probably some do the job fucking company in china that could Use his assistant right now <laughs> son is probably pretty good at that but didn't the, the pod save america which, by the way, I tried to listen to one time. Like, nope. why do people don't like do that? that. It's, yeah. I don't understand it. I'll do that. It's not the politics. I just don't yeah. get it. It's like, you guys are fucking annoying. <laughs> Sorry. Literally 90% of the audience is like, you too. Um, <laughs> but they, criti they criticized him. Yeah, today. it's, you know, Ezra Klein was the weather vane on this. Right? I guess he was, yeah. John Stewart. John Stewart, too. John yeah. Stewart, too. John Stewart first. Who, I, do, I don't know if we've said this out loud on the... Um, 
non-paying podcast, but his return so far has exceeded expectations. He's been interesting. Mm-hmm. He's taken shots all over the place. I didn't see this week, this Monday's episode. I didn't either. But he cried. Yeah. Did he cry? About his dog. Oh. Which I thought, um, I watched a clip, beat, and I couldn't watch it. I felt really bad for him. His, he rescued a dog that was hit by a car in Brooklyn. It was like a three-legged dog or something. And then they've had the dog for a long time, and the dog died. Oh. And he brought it up, and he got very emotional, and I felt really bad for him. Huh. You know, having had a dog that just died. Yeah. Fucking softy in one hand. I'm a softy. I'm a softy about yeah. that. Unless you're an illegal immigrant. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, put on a fucking plane to Greenland. Unless you're Lyman Bostock or Donnie Moore instead of Tony Coniglia. Yeah. I get it. Oh my God. Well, Donnie Moore threw up that fucking meatball to Dave Henderson, so... <laughs> All right, we should we should actually get out of here. We now. should bounce. Yeah. We have to see each other again tomorrow, somewhat right. early. Yeah, yeah, we do. Megan Kelly tomorrow. Uh, don't and expect if, many people will have listened to this completely before. But, then. Well, we'll but, see. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. I'll cut it really quickly. And if you're at um, the Islanders uh, Bruins game on Saturday at uh, UBS stadium yeah look for in Long Island. he'll be behind the yeah, penalty box sh- shoot me a shoot me a mail and we'll uh we'll have a quick drink man what no don't just... see the bees game my daughter's like fucking so happy we've Jeez, been watching we've been watching fights all weekend <laughs> <laughs> i just i'm not gonna mention any names the rangers have a guy big fucking six foot seven guy he's been on the ice five games gotten fights three times and he's a total scumbag and uh his last fight, he got a fight with a a guy that um, French Canadian guy. I think he's a Canadian guy. He's born in Biloxi. This other guy, but absolutely worked him, and he's like six inches shorter. And this guy has been out there, and like everyone in the NHL is gunning for him. And I just, I'm going to put a link in there. Just watch this fight. It's a fucking great one. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> So there we go. Watching on repeat with his 13-year-old daughter. (laughs) Amen. She's a teen now, so whatever, man. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. We we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.